0: Hey, this is Lily Quo, and I'm here with Saji Kualker.
1: We're second and third year internal medicine residents at the University of Texas Health and Science Center in San Antonio.
0: We are here with the bow, 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 best podcast ever, guys. We're talking about GI, all things GI. We're trying to get our co-residents, our fellows, and our faculty involved so that we can learn more information. Really, this is kind of a selfish thing for us. We just want to be able to share our love for GI with you all.
1: All information, content, and material is for information and education purposes and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. If you have a medical emergency, please call 911 immediately. All medical information changes constantly.
0: Therefore, the information that we provide you through our podcast should not be considered current, complete, or exhaustive, and nor should you rely on any such information to recommend a course of treatment for you or any other individual. You're listening to an episode of G.I. Janes. G.I.
1: Janes. Stat pearl for the day. Alrighty, let's talk about asterixis. Asterixes are flapping tremors of the hand which are actually very sensitive but not very specific for hepatic encephalopathy. They can also be seen in uremia and other conditions but if you do see them even in the absence of altered mental status, it's an important sign that points you towards hepatic encephalopathy. So start that lactulose and start that rifaximin.
0: Sounds good. I I do have a case here that's uh, pretty interesting that I think we can talk about. And I'm just going to go ahead and start. Yeah. Okay. So I have a case here of a 43-year-old woman who's being evaluated in the emergency department for a week-long confusion and kind of newly yellowing skin. She consumes 12 beers daily. On physical exam, it looks like our temperature is showing 38.5 degrees Celsius or 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit. Her blood pressure is 120 over 50. Pulse rate is 100 per minute and respiratory rate is 24 per minute. She's got scleral icterus, and her skin is jaundiced. And on her abdominal exam, we're basically seeing that she has tender hepatomegaly. She does have some asterixis and is only oriented to person. There's no other source of infection that's been identified. Tell me a little bit about what you're thinking, Saji.
1: Right, so that's that's an interesting case, and in that we see often on the wards in uh, on you know in, on internal medicine um, when someone comes in with confusion and jaundice. Um, obviously, you're thinking of liver pathology, uh, you know, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But what you really want to think of with the fever. Uh, is a couple of diagnoses. First things that we need to kind of rule out is, you know, fever, jaundice, and then the tender heparomegaly, so right upper quadrant pain, is the triad um, is cholangitis. So that's kind of the first thing that comes... To my mind right off the bat
0: charcot's triad is what charcot's about, right? triad exactly
1: right. okay. and then um the second thing i'm kind of thinking of and someone who's you know also is drinking alcohol is spontaneous bacterial peritonitis mm-hmm. because that can kind of decompensate someone to have hepatic encephalopathy um, and then the fever and all of that so um those are the top two things but what is less thought of uh, and that we should be keeping at the back of our mind is also alcoholic hepatitis because patients with fever and jaundice um, and you know daily consumption of alcohol can also present with alcoholic hepatitis. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of with just this clinical scenario as the patient presents.
0: Okay, so we got a pretty good top differential. Uh, let's go through some labs. We're seeing a very mild leukocytosis of 14,000 an INR of 2.3, and when we're looking at hepatic function, I see an alkaline phosphatase mildly elevated to 200, an ALT, which is within normal, at 30, an AST of 62, and then a total bilirubin of 17. Now what am I thinking of? What What do I make of these labs?
1: Yeah, so, you know, definitely just looking at the labs, you think of obstructive pattern or like a cholestatic pattern of elevated liver enzymes, which then kinds of, kind of makes me think of cholangitis more Mm -hmm. Um, and then with the leukocytosis obviously you know some sort of infection that's brewing or inflammation even uh, which we don't tend to think of but even a hepatitis picture which is any sort of hepatitis can cause an elevation in uh, the white blood cell count and then obviously the INR kind of points us towards uh, an uh, impaired hepatic function so with this again you know i have the same differentials on my mind which is cholangitis which can cause a cholestatic elevation in liver enzymes mm-hmm. um the second is svp which can decompensate the liver to also cause uh, this sort of picture and then uh Hep. so you know this, but what, what I do observe on the on the liver enzymes is the AST being more than the ALT, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of tips the balance over towards also being an alcoholic picture.
0: Sure, yeah, that's that classic pattern that we're talking about there. Now that we have um, a little bit of information based off of the labs and our clinical picture what else can we do next? What's our first line of sort of investigating and being able to differentiate between the different things on our differential diagnosis?
1: Right, so I think that, you know, the next thing is kind of, trying to tease out these different dif- differentials that we have on the top. So the first thing is cholangitis and the way that, you know, we would like to diagnose uh, cholangitis is by getting an, getting some sort of imaging to see if there is anything blocking the biliary duct system that's causing this. So my first step would be to get kind of some imaging, mm-hmm. um, right, to rule out that differential. Mm-hmm. And then the next differential is SBP and the way to rule that out is to do a diagnostic paracentesis. So those are kind of the two things is getting some sort of imaging and then getting a diagnostic tap.
0: Okay. So time to kind of rule things out. We did get a right upper quadrant ultrasound here, which is showing hepatomegaly. Looks like there's a little bit of minimal ascites, liver echogenicity. And in this ultrasound, we don't see any biliary stones or any ductal dilation. What does that mean?
1: Right. So that off the bat but puts cholangitis lower on my differential. Why? Because we don't have any sort of dilation of the common bile duct, which mm-hmm. is a pathognomic of a chol- cholangitis sort of picture, which means either a stone or a tumor or anything that's blocking the outflow of bile. Mm-hmm. Um, the CBD would definitely be dilated on an ultrasound because ultrasound is a very good test to look at uh, the biliary ductal system and to look at the gallbladder that helps us rule out Um, those sort of pathology. There are other imaging studies that are um, better um, for lower reductal pathology like an MRCP, but I think ultrasound is a pretty good rule out test. So if we don't see the CBD dilation and we don't see stones, then we can try, we can sort of put cholangitis lower on differential uh and then i would also definitely get the tap seeming that there's at least some somersitis on the ultrasound as well
0: yeah so we we did get a tap here and it looks like the total nucleated cell count is like 90. so we're not looking at a whole lot of cell count here and so very low suspicion for any type of infection doesn't meet the definition of sbp SBP.
1: yeah Yeah, so i think then you know we should hone on alcoholic hepatitis because Uh, We've ruled out everything else, and we really think that this is possibly the diagnosis, and it's a morbid condition, and that should be the top of our differential now, especially because uh, she has been drinking daily right up to her presentation.
0: Yeah. How exactly do we make that diagnosis? It's definitely top of my differential now that I'm looking at these other things, which are much less likely given the imaging that we're looking at. Yeah. How do we diagnose alcoholic hepatitis
1: so there are a couple of things that we can diagnose alcoholic hepatitis with mostly it's a clinical diagnosis though lots of people do say that you know histological is kind of the gold standard but uh, it- Most of these patients are so sick that we don't end up doing biopsies, so clinical diagnosis is the way to go. And there are certain criteria for clinical diagnosis that I'm going to kind of list out is, first is onset of jaundice within the last eight weeks, then ongoing consumption of heavy alcohol within the last 60 days, so they shouldn't have been abstinent from alcohol over 60 days from their presentation, and a history of heavy alcohol use. And then the lab parameters are actually pretty interesting, which is an AST of more than 50 and an AST to ALT ratio of more than 1.5, and then both the values being less than 400. And that's kind of really important because. When we have high levels of AST and ALT, that puts acute liver failure viral hep higher on the differential. But when you have these kind of lower smoldering ranges of AST, ALT, you want to think of Hep. And then the last and the most important is a total billy of more than three, which is usually what gets hepatologists kind of worried because that's pretty much are uh, telling of alk hep is when you have a really high billy. So those are kind of the four things that you want to look for, which is jaundice, alcohol consumption, AST ALT patterns, and then the billy.
0: Okay, good to remember. And I, I know we really hammer it in medical students: AST ALT ratio. You know, that's that classic finding that points us in that direction. But what's interesting is that we have these other constellation of symptoms that are really important and one of them includes this total bilirubin being elevated. That's not something that I typically remember from making a diagnosis for alcoholic hepatitis. So I think based in you know based off of this this patient's history and what their imaging looks like, I think we could probably make make the diagnosis of alcoholic hepatitis, would you agree?
1: I think so too, yeah. yeah. What
0: Definitely. do we do next? Like what do we do with this alcoholic hepatitis?
1: Right. So now that we've kind of made made the diagnosis, uh, we need to get um go to you know start thinking about management so for management we need to initially calculate uh, some predictive scores that help us uh, identify what kind of treatment we need to do so there is something called the Madri's discriminant function uh, which is a combination of different lab studies it's very easily available on medcalc and all of these calculators and you calculate the mdf for the Madri's discriminant function and If that score is more than 32, that's extremely significant and indicates a high probability of hep, but also indicates that we can start using steroids to treat this. Because what is hep is it's a hepatitis, it's an inflammation of the liver that can be treated with steroids and that's kind of the theory behind the use of steroids.
0: Okay, so I'm looking at Madri's discriminant function on my MD calc right now. Yeah. We're kind of going through this, um, you know, what we're looking at in terms of the labs and the information that we need in order to figure this out is it looks like we need a PT, which Mm -hmm. is lab specific, and then we also need a total bilirubin. So this kind of plays into the fact of what you were talking about where total bilirubin actually is a really important factor in terms of how severe your alcoholic hepatitis is. Exactly. And don't forget, guys, You know we have INRs all the time. We know exactly how to interpret those, but a PT is a lab-specific value. So in this particular case, it looks like our MAJRI is 35. And so it does meet that criteria where it's above the level of 32 how do I approach our treatment?
1: Right, so per guidelines, it says that, you know, if the madres is higher than 32, you know, steroids is what's indicated. But the caveat to that is that in all of the studies, it's there's a high infection rate with mm-hmm. starting steroids. And uh, because these patients are technically immunocompromised, because their liver is not functioning well, uh, they're at a higher risk of infection than the general population. So that's got to be weighed in when we start steroids. So what anyone would do first is rule out any sort of infection. So in addition to getting the tap that we got initially, do a full fever workup, which includes getting a chest x-ray, a urine culture, a blood culture, or lactic acid, you know, trying to rule out any possibility of infection because starting steroids in a patient who is possibly infected would be catastrophic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially in a serotic.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So I think... You know, in this particular case, we discussed acute cholangitis. you know, we got, we've got we gotten some blood cultures so far, it looks like it's pretty negative. We don't have a high suspicion based off of that imaging, and then next, we did our SBP workup. So I think for this patient, she's coming in altered, you know, we've got the diagnosis of alcoholic hepatitis, let's get started on treatment.
1: Yeah, so for guidelines and based on the studies, prednisolone, 40 milligrams per day, orally, uh, should be started immediately. And then, unless there are obviously any contraindications to steroids, and then at day seven is when we calculate something called the Lily score. Mm-hmm. Hi, Lily. Okay. Um, which is a score that um, helps to prognosticate if the steroids are going to help beyond seven days Mm. which means that if the patient is getting better with steroids or not really because if they're not then there is no benefit to continuing steroids that's that are actually going to increase your chances of infection
0: okay good to know so there's actually some kind of marker that we can look at to see if we're getting any benefit at all from this prednisolone
1: yeah and actually lily you can look that up on Medgalc as well
0: okay awesome um how, how do we know that steroids are the treatment of choice? What other kind of information do we have? Are there any, you know, data to back up why we use steroids?
1: Yeah, so there was actually a big trial called the STOP alcoholic hepatitis trial, which uh, is one of the landmark trials in alcoholic hepatitis that compared another agent called pentoxyphiline with prednisolone and looked at 30-day mortality, and, you know, prednisolone showed it, to improve 30-day mortality, but obviously in this very small subset that had madre's discriminant function more than 32, and they actually excluded patients who had AKIs and GI bleeds and any other decompensation. Oh, gosh, so that's that sounds why, like
0: none of our patients.
1: Exactly, exactly, which is why a lot of this treatment of prednisolone comes with caveats, and a lot of it is on the experience of the hepatologist who you should always consult on a case of Al- mm. Hep head manage the patient okay
0: that makes sense i'm looking at the lily model right here and okay. guys it's lily spelled the incorrect way i'll just say it's l-i-l-l-e so the lily model here it looks like we're basically following what these labs look like over a week so this patient you can already plan you know if they're going to be getting prednisolone treatment for alcoholic hepatitis especially severe it looks like they'll be in the hospital for a, a while so we got seven days. We're comparing initial bilirubin to day seven of total bilirubin. We're comparing the serum albumin, our PT, our creatinine. So we're looking into a lot of different information. It looks like a Lilly score of under 0.45 shows you that you should be able to continue this prednisolone treatment for a total of 28 days. That's a really long time. Mm -hmm. It sounds like some of these people are going to need some steroid tapers okay yep. now what if it's you know above 0.45 what does that mean
1: if it's above 0. 0.45 then it actually means that the steroids are not having much benefit because it means that the INR is still high the PT is still high the billy is still high so then we would stop treatment with uh, prednisolone and at this point it's very important to start of start having goals of care discussion with the patient involve mm-hmm. palliative care because uh, these patients have a very high mortality and very poor prognosis. So it depends on, you know, how long they've been absent from alcohol or even if they have for a liver transplant eval. But otherwise, the treatment is mostly palliative. Okay. And then I kind of didn't mention, but there is actually another... Agent that you know the guidelines do mention is IV uh, N-acetylcysteine, mm-hmm. um, which can also be used and has been shown in a few trials in France actually mm-hmm. uh, to have to improve thirty-day mortality and that can be considered though it's not very widely used.
0: Wow. Okay. So it looks like this NAC is back at it again. It is. Um, we're using it is. NAC in so many of these different liver diseases and especially when they're very severe. I'm impressed and you know thankful to see that that's also an option for these patients do know though that IV nac has a lot of volume we're putting mm-hmm. a lot of volume into patients they get basically huge boluses of this nac you know mm-hmm. it's it's important to remember in your patients who have heart disease especially people who have heart failure mm-hmm. or are preload dependent just mm-hmm. to kind of know that this is going on um, but also in our cirrhotics, if you have someone who is cirrhotic and they can't take too much volume right at once, it's just something to remember. Absolutely. It's a yes. factor to consider for sure.
1: And then just talking about like caveats to treatment, even just prednisone, uh, you have to assess contraindications to starting prednisone, which is, you know, as seen in the trials is an AKI with a creatinine more than 2.5 mm-hmm. an upper GI bleed. Uh, you know, concomitant other diseases like HPV, HCV, DILI, HCC, and then multi-organ failure. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of caveats to even starting steroids. Wow. Okay. Okay. At
0: least some of these patients will definitely have options. Now, what what other things, you know, for long-term mortality benefit, what, what can patients do besides, say they're not going to respond, or maybe they do respond to treatment, how do they prevent this from happening again?
1: Like they say, the mainstay of treatment for alcoholic liver disease is stop the alcohol. Oh man. I mean, okay. that is the main thing. So, you got to, you know, the only way to improve your mortality after getting better from an episode of alcoholic hepatitis is, is complete abstinence.
0: Okay. No more alcohol, my friends.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, all of all serotics are very nutritionally dep- uh, deprived just because they don't metabolize protein and make protein the same way. So improving nutrition is also key because the more... nutrition you have your also your ability to fight infections which is a usually the w- way a lot of cirrhotics end up dying is also key so improving nutrition long-term and alcohol abstinence are probably the two things that will improve your long-term mortality there are a couple of trials down on alcoholic hepatitis with like anti-inflammatory mediators like infliximab and etanercept and all of these things but they all didn't show any benefit just because of the high rates of infection. So it's wow. it's very hard to study this subgroup and population because of their high mortality and look at long-term outcomes. Alrighty, that was uh, a great discussion and great case, Lily. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. I, I learned so much from what you were telling me. Didn't know these things are what I should look out for, but that was really helpful. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. G-R-G. Alcoholic Hepatitis! Alcoholic... <laughs>